Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, <clears throat> Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, by any measure, we're in the midst of a health care crisis. Hospitals are in chaos. Emergency rooms are shutting down right across the province. One in five British Columbians cannot access a family physician. And for those that try to go to a walk-in clinic, they're facing the longest wait times in the country, right here in British Columbia. And it gets worse. When, when people have to call an ambulance, all too often nobody shows up for hours in many cases. Now, a year ago, after the NDP government's complete failure to respond adequately to the heat wave, the NDP did what they typically do. They made another announcement. But it's proven once again to be all rhetoric, no results. And that's not me saying that. That's in accordance, according to Troy Clifford, the president of the ambulance paramedics, who said, and I quote, the other day in the whole lower mainland, 42% of the ambulances that are supposed to be on the road were stopped, end of quote. So my question to the Premier is this. Why on earth is the Premier plunging forward with his billion-dollar vanity museum project at a time when British Columbians can't even access basic health care services? Premier. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And, um, I thank the Leader of the Opposition for his question, and I do acknowledge that as we're coming out of a global pandemic that has gripped us for the past two years, there are significant challenges, particularly when it comes to the delivery of the number one program, not just here in British Columbia, but across the country. That program that identifies us as distinct from our southern neighbours, and that's our publicly funded health care system. I had the opportunity last week to be with Western Premiers in Regina, the birthplace of public health care and the challenges that we're facing in British Columbia are duplicated right across the country. And I know the, the member knows this. He's a former health minister. He's a former finance minister. He appreciates the challenge of meeting competing interests uh, with limited resources. And that's why not just this province, but provinces from coast to coast to coast have been focused on encouraging the federal government to wake up to the challenges that we're facing here in BC and in every other province and territory by putting more money into the Canada Health Transfer, which is not an accounting process. This is about funding adequately the services that people expect to receive. The global pandemic transformed how we looked at our healthcare system. It enabled us to celebrate the workers that were in it, that went to work each and every day, sometimes for double shifts to protect their neighbours, their friends and their colleagues. We want to ensure that we have the resources to get there to help them and hold them where they are so that we can get the services we need. To do that, we need the federal government to come to the table. That's what the premiers have been asking for, and I know that I have the support on this side of the House. I hope I have the support on that side of the House as well. Leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, actually, uh, Mr. Premier, I think what's important are results. Now, it's easy to point fingers and to you know, try and blame everyone else for all the crisis that we're seeing in the healthcare system, but at the end of the day, you're in the second term of your government, and people expect results, not excuses. Now, over 600 people died in that heat wave last year, and the Premier infamously said, and I quote, fatalities are a part of life, end of quote. And so then shortly thereafter, out came an NDP announcement promising that they were going to do better. 
with the ambulance services that had totally collapsed during that crisis. But once again, the head of the ambulance paramedic says, and I quote, since last summer, it has not translated because we're no better off today than we were then, end of quote. And as we often, so often here in this place, the NDP government premier confuses announcements with action, but they're not, they're just announcements. And what the public sees are terrible results when they want action. So my question again to the premier, a direct answer please. Why is going forward with your billion dollar vanity museum project more important than getting people the ambulance service they deserve? Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and the member would know, uh, he, I wasn't, he wasn't in this place, but I'm sure he was reading the papers, he would know that there have been uh, the single largest investment in rehabilitating our ambulance service was during the global pandemic. $66 million in rural and remote uh, for many, and virtually all of the members on that side of the House. We're going to be able to benefit from that because of the isolation that their families and their communities live in. We put more, more boots on the ground in rural communities than were done over 16 years by the former group, and we've invested in our urban centres as well, working with firefighters, working with paramedics to ensure that the first people to get to a scene can help those individuals. We have challenges, Honourable Speaker. It would be ridiculous to say otherwise. But we are not, we are not in the dire crisis that the member suggests because of something that's happened Members. in the past two years. This has been building over the past 20 years, 16 of which was when he was on that side of the house, this side of the house. Member for Prince George Wilmont. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we certainly know that uh, what's happening in our province is much more than simply a challenge, as the Premier would describe it. We are talking about life or death. And in fact, we saw in this province, much to our horror, 600 vulnerable people, mostly frail elderly British Columbians, lose their life during the heat wave last summer. Many of them called 911 begging for help. And because the system was overwhelmed, that help didn't come. Here's what Troy Clifford had to say, and I quote, again, after another announcement from this government. The minister made some significant announcements last July and in December that we really haven't seen come to fruition, end quote. Those are in the words of frontline healthcare workers. Instead of fixing the problem, what the Premier decided his number one priority was, was a billion dollar vanity museum project instead of delivering on his commitment to British Columbians that when they dial 911, an ambulance will show up. So will he today do the right thing, shelve his billion dollar vanity project and put the money where it belongs into the healthcare system? Here, here. Minister of Health. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. It is essential in BC that when people need ambulance service and they call 911, they get ambulance service. And that's why we've been making fundamental changes in that am ambulance service. And let me detail some of them. We've taken the budget of the ambulance service, the largest increase of any part of healthcare in the period, 
from $424 million to $559 million in three years, Honourable Speaker. Last summer, we announced new full-time positions in urban areas. They've all been filled. We announced new part-time and full-time positions in rural and remote communities. They've all been filled, Honourable Speaker. So uh, that's the action that's required. And we've also transformed that system. It, people may find this hard to believe, but in 2017, Honourable Speaker, 67% of ambulance paramedics were casual in BC. This is not consistent with what's required of a modern ambulance service. So we have gone about changing that. And now, Honourable Speaker, 55% of ambulance paramedics are permanent, a transformative change that needs to continue. Member for Prince George Wilmont Supplemental. Well, I think the Minister knows that everyone in this House agrees that when you call an ambulance in the province of British Columbia, you should actually get one. And the fact of the matter is, and the Minister knows, you can make all the announcements you want, but if the ambulance doesn't show up, no one is going to believe a word that he says. And let's look at the results. There are none. We've actually been told that on May the 28th, there was only one staffed ambulance, one in Prince George, none in Vanderhoof, McBride, Bear Lake, Quinnell, or Hickson. And for the Minister's reference, that is an area larger than all of Vancouver Island. Those are the results that are being garnered under this Minister's leadership. So to the Premier. Is it acceptable that the people who live in that part of British Columbia had one staffed ambulance and instead his priority is a $1 billion vanity museum project? Here, here. Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, after a long, long time, and this wasn't the case, the BC Emergency Health Service has been a fundamental priority. The highest increases in spending, the addition... Uh, Honourable Speaker, you know, it's a serious subject and uh, I'm into my third sentence and the Leader of the Opposition Members. who called health workers bureaucrats, and I don't think he meant it in a complimentary way on Monday, Honourable Speaker, is already interrupting. This is a very significant issue. The investment in rural ambulance services in particular has been significant. For example, on April 29th, 24 rural ambulance stations, Honourable Speaker, converted to full-time, 24-hour paramedic staffing, as was advocated in some of those cases by members of the opposition. I met with members of the opposition, and we added to that list because our priority is ensuring that when you call 911, you get an ambulance, and that is what we're going to members. continue to do. Member for Saanich North End Island. Mr. Speaker, over the uh, last few weeks, this BCNDP government's failed to convince British Columbians that uh, the museum project uh, is the noble venture that they claim it to be. We know that those who control the information control the storytelling, control the narratives. Residential and day schools and museums were all tools used by Crown governments to dominate and subordinate Indigenous people. The goal expressed by the architects of the Indian Act a century ago was to assimilate Indigenous people and annihilate our cultures. Mr. Speaker, fast forward today, 
and all the MLAs in this chamber received a desperate letter from the Gosala Nakwada Council. They are moving forward under the federal legislation to take back control and jurisdiction over their children and families based on their own cultural laws. They've outlined horrific abuses at the hands of the Ministry of Children and Family Development. Our relatives have asked for access to their files. They have stated clearly that these are their files about their children and families. Their cultural laws require them to carefully research their history of each member to do namings and other cultural ceremonies. And now the ministry has important parts of these histories that they will not share with them. They also need the files to prepare their costing models and develop their programs and services in a culturally based way and to address past gaps and problems. How can anyone build better programs without access to past files and data? My question is to the Premier. He positions himself as a warrior of reconciliation. So why is he allowing his government to continue with this data colonialism? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, I do want to acknowledge that for far too long, uh, the, the system of government in British Columbia has been over-involved in the lives of Indigenous children and youth and families. And Indigenous children and youth and, uh, have been over-represented in the child welfare system. Our government is committed to reconciliation. And in my ministry, we are absolutely committed to changing that. We know the harm that that has caused for Indigenous children, youth and families for generations. It's very important that we change the whole of the system. We are absolutely committed to working with nations to exercise their inherent jurisdiction. Honourable Speaker, I've recently been visiting nations who are at different stages in exercising their inherent jurisdiction. We were at coordination tables with them and with the Government of Canada and we're working with them and following their path and following their timelines as well. And we're doing the same with Guasala Nakwada as well, Honourable Speaker. Um, I actually had uh, very senior staff in the community all day on Monday of this week, and we're committed to uh, a new way of working together. And we have the agreement of the community to continue working together to support them in how they want to exercise their inherent jurisdiction. There's a lot more work to do, and we are absolutely committed to doing it and doing it in partnership. Member for Sanitary Northern Ireland, supplemental. Well, Mr. Speaker, honestly, that response is terrible. The reality of it is, is that this nation has been trying to get access to files, historical files, about the mistreatment of their members from the Ministry of Children and Family Development, and they have been blocked by this government. The exchange of letters between the nation and this BC NDP government are painful. They're painful to read. The stories of terrible abuses at the hands of that ministry, they're difficult to comprehend, Mr. Speaker. The nation was told by that, quote, the Deputy Director of, Children, of Child Welfare has communicated his decision to not disclose complete records, end quote. That's what the nation's been told. The Gosala Nakwado responded saying that the Provincial Crown continues to apply a specifically narrow interpretation of the law that goes against the commitment from the Minister of Children and Family Development. 
October 21st, uh, 2021. October 20th, 2021, the minister made a commitment. And the minister's deputy minister, Alison Bond, also made a commitment, directly in uh, contravening their own commitments to this nation. The MCFD and this BC NDP government have a culture of withholding, Mr. Speaker. Read the news today. See another story of where Ms. Uh, MCFD is withholding money from an Indigenous family looking after their grandchildren. They withhold children until they determine whether the Indigenous mother is capable based on their own standards. And the Premier's legacy of this museum is actually more of the same. They claim to be different, but this is more of the same behaviour from this government. This is not a legal or privacy issue that I'm talking about today, Mr. Speaker. The current legislation allows provincial directors to provide information to First Nations. This can't be a privacy issue because this is about returning information about First Nations back to First Nations. Mr. Speaker, my question is again to the Premier, and I hope you will stand up and respond. Is he just going to stand by and allow his government to continue to withhold vital information from Indigenous nations who are rightfully taking back jurisdiction over their child welfare. Premier. I thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member for his passion about this issue. Uh, he will know that this government has been transformative when it comes to working with Indigenous peoples. Uh, over the past five years, we've brought forward uh, landmark legislation supported by all members of this House with respect to the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. We've been working through the Ministry of Children and Family Development to right the wrongs that he talks about, the historic wrongs. And if there are issues today that, if there are issues today that require more in-depth discussion, I'm quite prepared to have that with the member. But the challenges that Indigenous peoples face in this province are not something that happened yesterday. It's been going on since the expansion of Europe and colonization came to this great province that we call home and we share with Indigenous peoples, 204 Indigenous distinct nations, as the member for Langara said in his, his statement today. I appreciate the passion of the member. I'm happy to sit down with him and look into the details that he's raised in the House today. But let's leave the public with a sense that they can have comfort that all of the people in this House, 87 members, are committed to redressing the wrongs of the past, and we do that by taking steps forward. Will we stumble? Will we make mistakes? Yes, we will. But we should be doing it together in a spirit of cooperation and collaboration. If we can't cooperate and collaborate here, it's little wonder that Indigenous peoples don't support us as we go into their communities. Member for Kelowna Mission. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. It's time. It's time for this Premier and this Minister to admit that we are in a health care crisis. Thank goodness for our health care workers. And thank goodness that they actually admit the crisis and are here. They're speaking out. Dr. Jeffrey Epler is an emergency physician at Kelowna General Hospital. Yesterday, he spoke about the hospital overflowing with more patients than they even had in available stretchers and with people suffering because they're in hallways and alcoves. He says, and I quote, I've never seen morale lower than it is now, and I've never seen such turnover, end quote. Why on earth is the premier spending a billion dollars on a vanity museum project when our health care system is falling apart. Minister of Health. 
Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chair. And uh, as the member knows, uh, the healthcare system and the extraordinary healthcare workers around British Columbia have responded, I think, in a remarkable way to two public health emergencies and all the challenges facing healthcare. And they have, I think, on behalf of people in BC, achieved an enormous amount. Uh, that's in Kelowna, where diagnostic care has been expanded for all people and for cancer patients, where we've reduced wait times in a pandemic for surgeries, where we've gone from eighth place to first place in orthopedic surgeries, where we've increased access to diagnostic care in every health care authority, most importantly in interior health. Right now, of course, the healthcare system continues to face some fundamental challenges, one of which is that there are, right now, because of COVID-19, more people off sick, dramatically more people off sick than there was in 2021, in 2020, and of course before the pandemic in 2019, which deals, which leads to challenges every single day. Last week, there was between 15 and 16,000 people who missed at least one day. And I think it is remarkable that in that week, a week where healthcare workers face such incredible challenges, that they delivered such a very high level of service. I hear and speak to healthcare workers every single day. It's why we've added 32,000 healthcare workers in the last two years, and why we're going to continue to add resources to support our healthcare workers who've done a remarkable job in difficult times. Kelowna Mission Supplemental. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. And I, uh, I laud. I sing the praises of every single healthcare worker in this province. They have done extraordinary things. And now they are speaking out because they are tired and they are giving us the warning signs and, and sounding the alarm bell that our healthcare system is failing. Dr. Epler said yesterday that he is angry about what he called the government's false narrative and the untruth being spread. And he says, and I quote, I don't know a single practicing emergency physician that really feels that UPCCs are the solution. To present it as a solution to our healthcare ills is simplistic and actually dishonest on the part of the government, end quote. So only in NDP land is everything okay with our healthcare system. Why is the premier doubling down on a billion dollar vanity museum project at a time when our healthcare system is in crisis? Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, um, members of the House will know this because uh, they may be more familiar with this period than I am. From 2003 to 2017, the number of people without a family practice doctor in BC doubled in that period. That a promise was made in 2010 to provide everybody with a family practice doctor, as it turns out, by the leader of the opposition when he was Minister of Health. That plan was abandoned in three years. We are taking significant action to support primary care across BC and the core of that action in Kelowna are primary care networks which were developed in concert with divisions of family practice, in, in other words, with family physicians, 52 full-time staff, Honourable Speaker. 
the member refers to UPCCs. Well, Honourable Speaker, we've gone through a period in the pandemic where the majority of visits to family physicians were in person to a period where the vast majority were virtual. UPCCs in that period played a fundamental role and an important role in assisting people. 1.3 million visits. And at the Kelowna UPCC, that number was 85,000 visits up to March the 3rd. At the Kelowna UPCC, which has 25 positions and 25 positions filled, people have come to the UPCC to provide support. But it is only part of the primary care network solution and only part of the response to the challenges facing acute care. And that's why in every area of healthcare, we've added resources and staff in this dramatic period of pandemic. 32,000 additional staff in long-term care, support for diagnostic care, support in acute care, and support in primary care. And we need to continue to do more to support, in particular, our family physicians in providing service in the community. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Even, even the minister's own team isn't buying it anymore. I mean, the reality is the minister is refusing to listen to health care workers of what's really going on. And UPCCs are a great example, Mr. Speaker, because if you actually talk to healthcare workers, he'd know that within the healthcare system right now, they're called oopsies because they're not working. That's what the healthcare workers are calling. And up until two weeks ago, that was the big flagship by this minister. But what was going to solve all the healthcare woes? The reality is our healthcare system is in complete crisis mode right now. Royal Inland Hospital is probably perhaps the worst example of just how bad things can get. This is what one nurse says, and I quote, Our hospital is on fire. The staffing shortage, downplayed by administration, is in full crisis. End quote. The minister needs to start actually listening. The premier needs to start acknowledging and listening to what the internal workers, the front care health workers, they profess to care about and honour, are actually saying. Not regurgitate speaking points. So will the Premier cancel his billion-dollar vanity museum project and actually fix the hospital system? And that appears to be funny, but I'll wait for an answer. Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, I think um, our health care teams in Kamloops, our health care teams at Royal Inland Hospital, have been through the most difficult year that healthcare has ever seen. We had the COVID-19 pandemic, which profoundly affects Kamloops and continues to profoundly affect Kamloops, Honourable Speaker. They had the impact of the heat dome, of wildfires, of floods, and healthcare workers literally moved hundreds of seniors from one community to other communities in long-term care. This has been an exceptional and difficult time. In the 2021 uh, year, 200 nurses were hired at Royal Inland Hospital. Significant number more have been hired this year. We have a dedicated team uh, to, to address staffing issues at that hospital, and we are hiring regularly. As the new tower opens, Honourable Speaker, and it's completed on time, Honourable Speaker, that new, new hospital will be adding new nursing staff to that hospital. And yes, we've added staff to all the long-term care homes, all of which were below standard when I became Minister of Health. 
We've raised the standard of health care workers. We've brought contracts back into the public system. And we got rid of Bill 29 and 94, which were a blight on the health care system. Opposition House Leader. Uh, th thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, well, day after day, we raise these issues uh, here in the legislature. Day after day, uh, health care workers at hospitals, uh, well, in hospitals and outside hospitals, uh, are, are raising uh, the alarm bells and are expressing to this minister just what a crisis the system is actually in. But day after day, all that the British Columbians hear, all that health care workers hear, all we hear in this chamber is uh, a, a, a self-congratulatory pat on the back for its extraordinary results that the minister seems to be under this, uh, this illusion, uh, or the delusion, uh, is actually happening in the province. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, what's happening in hospitals across BC, whether, whether you look at Northern Health, whether you look here at, on Vancouver Island, whether you look uh, in the Lower Mainland, what's happening is dire and it's inexcusable. The situation at Royal Inland Hospital, the minister should know this well, is, uh, is symbolic, frankly, of what's happening around the province. There's massive staff shortages. Over the next two months, there's 20,000 unfilled uh, shift hours in the ER and the ICU. There's an overflowing emergency room. There's frequent diversions of patients to other hospitals. There's temporary closure of the pediatrics unit, the permanent closure of the coronary care unit. A lack of operating room time, which is resulting in an increasing number of surgeries being done by Kamloops surgeons on Kamloops patients at Kelowna General Hospital. And all of this has resulted in a toxic work environment. Communities uh, right across the province, like Chetwint, have watched as patient diversions have become more and more common. Other communities watch their ERs close because of chronic staffing shortages. And when frequent ER closures happen in rural communities, like Clearwater or Ashcroft, it only puts more pressure on already overwhelmed hospitals like Royal Inland in Kamloops. Mr. Speaker, healthcare workers are saying this is not sustainable. Healthcare workers are crying out for help. So the question is this, when will the Premier listen to these healthcare workers? When will he put an end to the rhetoric? And when will he direct his health minister to take the urgent action that's required to fix the crisis in health care so British Columbians can get the care that they need when they need it. Minister of Health. Minister of Health. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And I, I would say to the, uh, the member that for all of my time as Minister of Health, we've been working on behalf of patients and healthcare workers. And we've made some fundamental changes. And we've faced some extraordinary challenges. The members know this. They know it in Kamloops. And uh, every time I speak of uh, the situation at Royal Inland Hospital and the challenges faced by doctors and nurses and health sciences professionals and healthcare workers there, I acknowledge how challenging these times are and the actions we need to take to deal with that. So what have we done? We built the largest residency program for doctors in BC. Well, uh, Honourable Speaker, uh, the member, uh, the leader of the opposition may oppose that. I'll be interested to see what he proposes, Honourable Speaker. We've added nursing spaces 
At Royal Inland Hospital, we have a dedicated team for recruitment. We've had 200 nurses in, the, in, uh, in 2021 added to Royal Inland Hospital. But I will tell you that no hospital in Canada has faced the pressure at Royal Inland Hospital. We have currently, in interior health, a rate of absence because of COVID-19 of approximately 11%. 11% of staff missed at least one day last week. That ordinarily would be 6%, and that presents real challenges on the ground. And I'm proud of our teams and the care that they've provided to people around British Columbia in this time. I'm proud of our healthcare workers, and it's why we've always given them priority, and we'll continue to give them priority as they provide care to be patients across British Columbia. The bell ends the question period.